Hi, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you've chosen to access this message. It's so encouraging to know that God is using the ministry of Portico Community Church to touch the hearts and lives of people all across the world. If you have a story to share or a prayer request, we would love to hear from you at info at porticocanada.ca. To support our ministry, you can donate online by clicking on the Donate button at the top right of your screen. Once again, we're so glad that you've joined us. It's our prayer that this message from God's Word will deeply impact your life. Well, good morning. Ah, you got me again. Usually I say good morning and you're pathetic the first time. And I got to do my shtick and say that was pathetic. And then you, but you were great the first time. All right. Well, there you go. Yeah. Give yourselves. <laughs> well, welcome. Hey, to all those who are online watching, we welcome you uh, today at Portico. And for those in the room, thank you so much for being here. It's hard to believe that last Sunday was Easter Sunday. You know, it was such a busy weekend, but it was such a tremendous weekend. Hundreds of people coming through the doors of a church who had not been before, hearing the gospel. I mean, what, what an amazing opportunity. You know, some of you were here last week, you know, because you, you kind of felt like you owed it to your spouse or to your mom or to your coworker to come and, and just check out the church. It is Easter after all. And, and, and maybe you were surprised when you came. And he said, wow, church has changed since, since I've been last. That was a good service. Well, maybe you thought we were like a one-hit wonder. And so it was a good service, but can they do it two weeks in a row? So you're here again on Sunday morning. Well, I know that as long as we preach the Bible, it's going to be a hit. So we're praying that as you uh, listen in today, whether you're online, no matter where in the world you are, or you're here in this room with us in, in Mississauga, that although this story took place almost 5,000 years ago... <laughs> There are still principles that we can learn and apply to our lives today. There is no other book like it. I can't think of anything else that can still speak to us today. Now, I'm going to throw a bone out to my Canadian friends this morning. Okay? If you're watching online, this may not apply to you directly because of where you live. But for those who are in the room today, I won't say what culture I come from. But we're not a really huge hockey culture, okay? And so soccer is my thing. I noticed my brother this morning wearing an Arsenal jersey this morning. Respect, okay? We have Liverpool fans in the house this morning. I wore my Manchester United jersey to work this week. That is our culture. But I understand that this is a really big deal for hockey in Toronto right now. And I understand that special prayer and supplication and fasting and sacrifices need to go up today. <laughs> I actually have no idea what's going on. It's whatever shows up on Twitter, but I know that they're in need. <laughs> so that, that's my bone for the week, okay? Um, th- this is uh, week seven, believe it or not, in our, in our study in the life of Moses. And, and the way we've, we've set up the series is we're doing it like seasons like you would watch a TV show at home. And so season one is from the birth of Moses until the freedom of the people till they get to the Red Sea. And so that's today. They actually, they've been released. There's been the Passover. Um, Pharaoh finally lets the people go, and now they're right on the cusp of freedom, but there's still some challenges before they can make it to the other side. So this is the final message in season one of that stage of the journey. 
Next week, Pastor Doug is going to continue with season two, episode one, where they finally get to the other side. But guess what? It's not all rosy. It's not all perfect. There's stuff that happens along the way. And each message as we track through the life of Moses and through the life of the Israelites, there are principles that apply to all of our lives today. And so we're going to look at three principles today that come out of the book of Exodus in chapter 14. So let let me start off by, by asking you a question. Again, whether you guys are watching online or you're here in the room, this is a question for everybody. What happens when you trust God? And you do everything he commands you to do, right down to the letter of the request. You do everything that he says to do, and then everything falls apart. And then you hit a wall. What do you do? What's your response to that scenario? Now, I know if I were to ask this morning, how many people have ever had that experience? There would probably be a lot of hands. Well, we said, God, I know I heard you. I know you told me to do this. I know you told me to go in that direction, and I did it, and there's a wall. So either I'm wrong or you're wrong. What happened? Where's the miss? Well, some of us would get discouraged. Some people would get frustrated. And some of us, and I say us because this includes me, you know, often when people come to church, they think, oh, the preacher doesn't have any problems because look at what he's preaching. The preacher is preaching to himself this morning, and every morning he's up here, okay? Because I'm telling you, I've been discouraged. I've been frustrated. But sometimes when we obey God, we trust him, and we do everything, and then it falls apart, we can even get mad. And I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but again, I know that if I ask how many people have ever been angry at God, that many of us would raise our hands. And sometimes we think it's not cool to get mad at God. It's not okay to get mad at God. We shouldn't. You know what? It's totally okay. How many children get upset with their parents? It doesn't mean the parents don't love the children anymore. God doesn't love us any less because we go through difficult times and even our responses don't phase God. Well, if you've done everything, obeyed to the T, and it all fell apart, welcome to Moses' life. (laughs) Moses did everything right. Moses did everything God commanded him to do. He obeyed God even at great personal risk. Going back to Egypt could have been a death sentence. At the very least, a warrant for his arrest, imprisonment. But he goes back anyways. He does everything God tells him to do. So he goes back to Egypt, to this land where it could all fall apart for him. And he stands before the Pharaoh. He stands before the great king of Egypt. And he makes this ridiculous demand, let your workers go. Let my people go. Let God's people go. And we know that it doesn't go well at first, does it? Moses has this massive time of disappointment because he thought it was going to go well. He was doing what God told him to do. How could it not go well? But yet it gets before Moses or before Pharaoh and it all falls apart. And so Pharaoh rejects him. The Israelites reject him. But I love the attitude of Moses. He didn't give up. (laughs) 
In fact, he went back nine more times. Guys, if that girl said no the first time, you keep asking. You're going to wear her down. You take her for that pizza, man, I'm telling you. (laughs) You see, our nature is to give up. We run against the wall. Oh, I guess that's not where I'm supposed to go. And so we walk away. Instead of persevering, instead of knocking, instead of trying, we give up. But Moses goes not once, not twice, not three times. He goes nine more times. And then finally, finally, Pharaoh relents and he lets the people go. How many of us would go nine more times? How embarrassing was that for Moses? How shaming would that have been? Every time he went and a plague was unleashed, Pharaoh said, okay, fine, I give up, I'll let them go. Just call off the plague. And Moses says, not only will I call it off, but what time do you want me to call it off? Two o'clock tomorrow, so that you know it's God, it wasn't your magicians, two o'clock tomorrow, plague's over. It's over. And Pharaoh says, nope, change my mind. And he comes back again the next day, and he does it, and he does it, and he does it. But finally, Pharaoh relents, and he lets the people go, because on that tenth plague, it was personal because of what happened to the firstborn. He finally lets the people go, and it didn't take long for Pharaoh to change his mind. If you read the text, it's interesting. We, when we study the, the plagues, um, all the experts that I read this week tell us that it was about a 10-month period. From the first plague to the final plague of Passover, it was about 10 months. And after 10 months of these relentless plagues, he finally lets them go, but then it seems that he quickly changes his mind. And he says, what have I done? And I know that we have all experienced this kind of thing. We've said stuff, we've done stuff, and the moment we did it, we knew it was wrong. Guys, the first time and last time I bought a boat without telling my wife, I said, what is this dumb thing that I have done in the presence of the Lord and my wife? She's here today. She's laughing. Because 20 years have passed. She can laugh now. <laughs> but we've all made decisions only to second-guess them immediately after they exit our mouth. And Pharaoh does the same thing. But it's interesting that Pharaoh doesn't go right away. He waits a few days. And so I'm looking through the verses going, why did he wait? If he was so upset, if he was so angry with himself for making the decision, why didn't he go immediately? You know, was he being nice and giving them a a three-day head start? Giving them an opportunity to go to make the chase more thrilling? Why does he wait? Well, the Bible tells us why he waited in, in Numbers chapter 33. And this is only a reference, and you can take some time and read it a little bit later. Numbers 33 it says that the, the Israelites, they marched out defiantly in full view of all the Egyptians who were burying all their firstborn. You see, although Pharaoh was furious, he was angry with this so-called God. He was angry with Moses. He couldn't leave because he had to put his house in order. He had to bury his own son, whom this God that he just gave into took that child's life. You can imagine with every piece of linen that he was wrapping the body of his little boy, you could imagine the anger. Every wrap, every stretch, the anger and how upset he was rose and rose. 
the rituals of the Egyptians concerning funerals and, and, and the death was so intricate and so steeped in mysticism and ancient spiritualism that he wasn't able just to walk away. But the moment he finished that process, he, he made a decision. He said he was going to go after them. And if you're, if you're following along, I want to take you to Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 and 9. It says that when the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, Pharaoh and his officials changed their minds about them and said, what have we done? We have let the Israelites go, and now we've lost their services. So he had his chariot made ready, and he took his army with him. He took 600 of the best chariots, along with all the other chariots of Egypt, with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, so that he pursued the Israelites who were marching out boldly. I love that. They weren't exiting as refugees. (laughs) They were leaving as a free people with their bags filled with loot that God had promised them. And so they were marching out boldly, and the Egyptians and all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, horsemen and troops, pursued the Israelites and overtook them as they camped by the sea near Pai Ha'eroth, opposite a place called Baal, Zephon. I would classify where the Israelites are as a predicament. You've heard the saying, uh, caught between a rock and a hard place? Well, they were caught between a pharaoh and a hard place. It seemed impossible. There was no way they were going to get out of this. And so I looked up the definition for predicament to try and understand what it was. The predicament is simply this. It's a difficult, an unpleasant, or an embarrassing situation. How many of us have ever been in a predicament? I remember preaching an entire sermon with my zipper down. (laughs) That was an embarrassing situation. We've all done stuff and gone, oh, I wish I would have done that differently. And so the Israelites find themselves in this predicament. There's three things that I believe that we can take away from this story. And if you're following along online, make sure you have your electronic devices out and you can track through with the points and the messages. If you're here in the room, electronic devices, you can use your bulletins, however it is. Let's write down these points together and then take them and reflect on them as we go through the week. And so number one, a predicament often provides an environment for your obedience to be tested. A predicament is called a predicament because it's not an easy thing to go through. And so the Israelites are finally released from Pharaoh. And God says, go. And you know, there was such a quick route to get to Israel, to get to Canaan, the promised land. If you look at a map and you look at where Goshen was in northern Egypt and you follow the water and you go up the coast, within seven days they could have been in Israel. Seven days they could have been in Israel, but instead it took them 40 years. You see, we always want the shortcut, don't we? The moment they would have entered into Canaan, they would, have, they would have been forced to fight fierce tribes who were ruling the land, and God knew they were not ready. They'd only been a free people for a few days. They hadn't been a nation yet long enough. They wouldn't be able to endure 
the attacks that were coming. And so God takes them the long way around to prepare them so that when they got there, they would be triumphant. So many times you and I want the shortcut. Lord, if just this one time, if we could just bypass all that land and all that journey and all that hardship, can I just get the gold right now? You see, we don't always know and we don't always understand, but God knows our journey. He knows what we're going to face, and he says, Joe, I love you, but you're not ready. And if I send you now, I'm signing your death warrant. I know you're going to be upset. I know you're going to be frustrated, but I've got to send you the long way around. I've got to make you into what I need you to be so that when you get there, you will be ready. And so God releases them, and he, he says, I want you to go here, then I want you to backtrack and come here, then I want you to go south, and then I want you to go north, and the people are confused, but yet they obey anyways. Everywhere Moses was told to go, he went, and Pharaoh was watching from a distance, and Exodus 14.3 says, Pharaoh will think the Israelites are wandering around the land in confusion, hemmed in by the desert. You see, Pharaoh thought the people didn't know where they were going, and it was kind of like a cat-and-mouse situation. He had them trapped between the mountains and the water. There was nowhere for them to go. He said, they don't know where they're going. This is going to be an easy catch. But because they obeyed, we know what ended up happening. I want you to think about this. 600 chariots were sent. Think of a chariot as a tank in modern-day warfare. Pharaoh comes out with 600 tanks, and from all the research I did, he had a minimum of 20,000 soldiers. And this is what the people were up against. It was a massive army and a massive challenge for this brand new Hebrew nation. There's so many parallels between the Israelites being up against incredible odds and not winning until this very day <laughs> and all that God is doing. In fact, today is um, Holocaust Memorial Day. All across the world, Jews are mourning and remembering those they lost in the Holocaust. And it's already happened in Israel. There's a siren that goes off for two minutes and no matter where you are in the country, you stop, you get out of your cars and you stand for two minutes and you remember And so the the Jewish people, the Israelites, have known what it's like to be in a predicament. And it seemed unlikely that this ragtag, brand new country, that they would even survive the night, let alone make it to the promised land. The situation was so huge, it actually blocked their ability to see God. All they had was Moses and a stick. They looked out and they saw 600 tanks coming. They saw 20,000 men coming. And Moses says, don't worry, we got this. How comfortable would you feel in that leader? Uh, Is there anybody else? Is there a sword? Is there a machine gun? Is there something? No, I got a stick. We're good. I can't imagine what the people must have thought. But they said, you know, but we've got God on our side He set us free with the power of his mighty hand. We've seen what he's done. He brought 10 powerful plagues against the 10 gods of Egypt. And they must have said, we are invincible. And then there's the ocean. And then there's the army. And as my Jewish friends would say, oy vey, we are in. 
a predicament. There seemed to be no way out. And how did they react? Let me turn that back to us. How do we react when we're facing predicaments, when we're obeying God, when his favor seems to be on us and we step out and then boom, we hit a wall? How do we react? It's so easy to trust in what we can see, but it's difficult to trust in something that we cannot see. All they could do was trust in God. And they were trusting in Moses, who was trusting in God. And it's so much simpler, isn't it, to trust in something that you can see, you can feel, you can touch, you can taste, right? I need a volunteer this morning. Actually, I'm going to pick this gentleman here in the blue. Yeah, the guy looking away from me right now. (laughs) Can I invite you to come on the platform for a second? Let's welcome him. Is this insurance policy all up to date? He's good. I know what's your name? Joshua. Joshua, good name. Well, that kind of takes away from my message. Okay, we'll call you Jay. So, Joshua, I'm going to have you look that way. Okay? Full body turn. Now, I'm going to do something with Joshua that many of you have done. You've done it like in corporate retreats. You did it at youth group. You've done it in Sunday school. It's called the trust fall. If you could hear the excitement right now in Joshua, unbelievable. <laughs> That's my last verse. Right now, be afraid. No, I'm kidding. You guys know how this game works, right? So, Joshua, let me ask you a question. We've only known each other for about 45 seconds. (laughs) But am I a trusting person? Yeah. Yeah? So if I said I was going to catch you when you fall back, would you you trust me? Sort of. Sort of? (laughs) On the count of three, I want you to fall back. One, two, three. Yeah. Hey. Not bad? Thanks, man. (laughs) It's so easy to say, oh, yeah, I trust you. But it's a lot harder when you actually have to do it. Now, my daughter, God bless her, she's not here this morning, and she is an amazing young woman, married, studying to be a nurse. Oh, she's, she's amazing. But when she was two and three years old, she was full of beans, Anybody else have energetic children? And you talk about trust, and my wife, she said, you'll remember this. You didn't have any warning. She'd be at the top of the stairs and go, Dad, I would look, and she was midair, like a flying squirrel. Seriously. She didn't eat. It never crossed her mind for like a millisecond that I would not catch her. Never crossed her mind. This is my dad. He's going to catch me. You have a dad who says, I will catch you. If you jump, I will be there for you. Come on. Oh. It's not always easy to obey. It's not. People say it's easy. It's not. 
I'll be the first to admit, it is difficult to obey. It's so much easier to do Joe's will than God's will. Because I think I know what I'm doing. I think all my ideas are great. Most of them are, sweetheart, but not all of them. (laughs) Not all of them. Let me take you to Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, a very famous scripture verse. It says, blessed is the one who does not walk in the step, in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of, of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. You see, if we want to be blessed, we have to walk in the ways of the Lord. A lot of times that means that we have to leave our safe places. A lot of times it means that we have to step out and give up what's familiar and what's comfortable. Let me ask a few personal and difficult questions. Don't respond to them, but just think these through. How far would you go to obey God? We know how far Joshua would go. How far would you go to obey God? Could you give up your career? If God said, I need you to leave Canada, I'm calling you to go to this country, could you give up your career? Could you give up your car? We love our cars in this country. Could you give up your car if God asked you to? Guys, this is a hard one. Could you give up your TV? I would need like an angelic visitation for that one. And even then I would question him. Can we give up our wardrobe? Our house? What would we be willing to give up in order to obey God? And I began to think, I said, how far did Jesus go to obey God? How far was he willing to go? How much was he willing to give up for Joe Amaral? And the verses in Scripture tell us, John 12, 27, Jesus speaking, now my soul is troubled, and, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. No, it's for this very reason I came to this hour. I came here for Joe. I have to go all the way. Philippians 2.8 says it beautifully, and being found in appearance as a man, Jesus humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And sometimes God is calling us to die to self, to die to the things of the flesh. And friends, are we willing to step out and to go? This leads us into the second thing that a predicament can teach us, and it's this, that a predicament presents you with the opportunity to develop your character and attitude. If you want to know where a person is at in their spiritual journey, watch how they respond in difficult situations. It's easy when things are going good to say, glory to God, hallelujah, and do a little dance. So easy. But we know where we are in our faith journey and how we respond during the difficult times. And so the people, the Israelites, respond to what they think is a perceived failure. 
Because they'd listened to Moses, they'd listened to God, and now they were caught, they were stuck, they didn't think they were going to make it through the night. They perceived that predicament to be a failure. Oh, we all have that. You know how many Sunday mornings as I've traveled in churches all around the world, getting up there and thinking, oh, that just that wasn't a great message, or I felt like I really bombed this morning, and it felt like a, like a failure to me. Then almost every time somebody would come and say, oh, Joe, that's exactly what I needed to hear. I prayed this morning and said, Lord, if you're real, let the preacher say this. And I thought that was such a crazy thing that I said, but it's exactly what they needed to hear. Although it can be out there and it can be perceived as failure, God is there all the time. And so there's water in front of them. There's an army behind them. Let me walk you through the three different vantage points of the people that are involved. There's the people, there's Moses, and there's Pharaoh. And they all perceive the situation in different ways because that's life. People say, why are the Gospels so different? Because they're four different individuals witnessing the same event. If we all go to the same hockey game, soccer game together, we're going to come back with different reports because depending on where we're sitting, who we're cheering for, what we like and don't like, that's going to affect the way the story is told. And so here the people, Moses and Pharaoh, are experiencing the exact same predicament, but they all see it differently. The people saw it as failure. Absolute and total failure. Why did we listen to Moses? We should have stayed in Egypt. At least we had food and water and a place to sleep. Really? Why did we listen to Moses? It would have been better for us if we'd stayed in Egypt. Really? They had forgotten about the lash marks on their backs. They were looking for someone to blame, and Moses was the perfect scapegoat. In Exodus 14.11, they say, Was it because there was no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? Drama much? What have you done by bringing us out to Egypt? Really? Moses said like five minutes ago, I was the hero, and now I'm the failure. From the people's perspective, from their vantage point, it was a total failure. Moses saw it as a failure as well. He must have thought, I missed out. I missed out on God. What was I thinking of? I had it so good. I had a wife. I had children. I had a home. I had a safe place. What was I thinking? I heard him wrong. And now Moses is thinking, because I messed up, these 600,000 people are going to be slaughtered. From his perspective, it was a total failure. In Exodus, he says, God, why have you brought me to these people? Why did you call me only to let them down? It was a perceived failure. You see, they couldn't see around the corner. All they saw was their moment. All they saw what was going on right there in that time. But they didn't know that victory, massive victory, was just around the corner. And so often, we're ready to give up. We're ready to throw in towel because we can't see around the corner. But we serve the one who does. Trust him. Walk with him. He will guide us and he will lead us. Amen? And so how do we respond to this perceived failure? Do we complain? 
Do we grumble? We blame the Israelites. How could they complain and grumble? Look at what God had done for them. Oh, don't we do the same thing so often? We're so quick to forget all that God has done because one little thing goes wrong. So how do we respond? How do we, what's our attitude? Well, I think that Jesus should be our example. Years ago, there was these bracelets going around. You probably remember them, WWJD. Remember those? What would Joe do? Do you guys remember those? (laughs) What would Jesus do? (laughs) Let me tell you what he did. In the midst of a predicament, in the midst of what seemed to be a perceived failure, he forgave those who were pounding the nails into his hands. The Messiah ended up crucified on a tree. That seemed like a perceived failure. To the disciples, to the Romans, to the high priests, to everyone watching, it seemed like a perceived failure. But yet he forgave those who were pounding the nails into his hands. He prayed for those who persecuted him. In fact, he died for those who were killing him. Look at what he says in Isaiah 53, 7. It says that he... This Messiah was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open up his mouth. We learned even this past week that he was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears, he was silent, so he did not open his mouth. Friends, use these predicaments, use these trials, these tests, these tribulations, use them and say, God, help me to develop my character and my attitude. Help me to be more like you. Help me to be more like Jesus. Amen? And one final thought as we prepare to go is that a predicament is a context where your faith is given the opportunity to mature. I love this verse in Exodus 14, verses 13 and 14. This is what Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. That was a really crazy thing to see, to say, because there was an ocean, there was tanks, there was horses, there was a massive army, and Moses says, do not be afraid. Stand firm, and you will See the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. Come on. Stand firm and you will, not you might, not it's possible. He says you will see the deliverance of the Lord that he will bring you today. And let me say that to you. Stand strong. Stand firm. Let those chariots come. Let that Pharaoh come. Let that ocean be in front of you. Trust God and his stick. (laughs) He can do more with the stick than we can do with all the resources of the world. Come on. Oh. You know, just look back on your life and, and you'll find God's fingerprints everywhere. You'll see that he was there, that he never left you. He never forsook you. I love that poem that's anonymous that somebody wrote called Footprints. You guys know that, right? It's beautiful. I'm not going to quote the whole thing. You can look it up online, but the last line is so precious. This is, Lord, when things were good, there was two sets of footprints. You're with me in the good times, but man, when I was struggling, when Pharaoh was after me, when my marriage was falling apart, when I got a bad notice from the doctor, when things weren't going so well, 
there was only one set of footprints. How could you leave me in such a time? And I love what he says, leave you? Those are the times that I carried you. He's offering to carry you today. In Joshua, chapter 1, verse 9, it's reiterated. He says, have I not commanded you? Be strong. Be courageous. Do not be afraid. He tells us not to be afraid because fear is a natural response to a predicament. But you only have to be afraid if God is not with you. But if he's with you, you can be strong. You can be courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. All we have to do is take that step and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And no matter what Pharaoh throws my way, no matter what the enemy, no matter what this world throws my way, I'm going to stand firm in you. Although in the natural I'm afraid, I'm going to just trust you and I'm not going to be afraid because I know that I will see your deliverance. I'm going to ask you to stand this morning as we as we get ready to sing in just a moment, I want to pray with you and pray for you this morning. You know, Pastor Dwayne said it earlier when he was singing that God never promised us a life without problems. In fact, there's a guarantee. You will face trials. You will face tribulations. But I will be with you always. When you're running out of steam, when you're running out of strength, when you're running out of faith and you feel like giving up, I'm not going to leave you. I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to walk with you through that valley in the shadow of death, and I'm going to take you back up to that mountaintop. Father, I thank you for these precious saints who are here today and those who are watching, Lord, online in different parts of this country and around the world who have been facing a predicament, and it seems impossible Lord, use this predicament to strengthen us, to grow us, to help us to become more reliant on you. And God, I pray that this morning as we come to your word, that we would take you at your word, that you will not leave us, you will not forsake us. Let us be bold, let us stand, and let us be courageous. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen.